Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, I Will Build My Church. So one day, way up in the region of Caesarea Philippi, way up in northern Israel near Mount Hermon, Jesus was there with his disciples. And he said to his disciples, he asked them a question. He said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples answered, and they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them what I believe is the most important question anybody could ever ask anybody in life. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter piped up, and here's Peter's answer. He said, you're the Christ the son of the living God. I love that about Peter. You're the Christ, Christos, Messiah. We believe you're Israel's Messiah. And not only that, we believe you're divine. We believe that you are the son of the living God. If you're new to the Bible or new to church, you need to know that that truth right there is the foundation for the, for the church. And this excited Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was so delighted in Peter's answer he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon's son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but who? My father in heaven. In other words, Peter, your statement that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, is not a human opinion. It's a divine revelation. And then Jesus went on to say in the very next verse, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock. Now, by the way, there's a big debate within the church. Uh, who is the church built on? Peter? No. <laughs> if it was built on Peter, it would have crumbled 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's, he wasn't saying on you, Peter. He was saying on what you just said. This statement that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we know Peter admitted later in the New Testament that Jesus is the foundation of the church. And Paul later said that Jesus is the foundation of the church. And so I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. First mention of the word church in the Bible, right there. And so we see the word, we see the promise, and then he goes on to say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so Jesus responded to Peter's confession with a promise. What was the promise? I underlined it for you. He said, I will build my church. That's a promise from the Lord. And so on the count of three, like you really mean it, I want you to say the underlined part. You guys ready for this? Everybody awake? All right, so one, two, three, go. I will build my church. It's a promise from the Lord. And pardon the bad English, but ain't nobody or anything gonna stop the church from moving forward. Nothing in the physical realm, nothing in the dark spiritual realm can stop the Lord's church. Now I have a question for you in light of this promise. Is the Lord a promise keeper or a promise breaker? He's a promise keeper. And that is why the New Testament does not end with the gospels. Have you noticed this? This is why the New Testament does not end with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is why the New Testament does not end with the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth. No, the, the, the New Testament continues on with the next book, which is the book of Acts. Why? Because Jesus promised, I will build my church. 
And even though the Gospels are about Jesus, the book of Acts is all about the birth and the building of the church. And it all started, as we saw last week, on the day of Pentecost. The Jewish feast day of Pentecost, on that special day, 120 disciples all together in one place, and then all of a sudden it happened. They heard a sound, everybody say the word sound. A sound like a mighty rushing wind, not an actual mighty rushing wind where their hair's blowing and the tree limbs are blowing and the curtains are fluttering. No, 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 a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Think about a category five hurricane wind. What does that sound like? And that just into wherever they were. And I believe it was a large room outside the temple courts. And so they heard a sound like a mighty rushing wind and then they saw a vision fiery tongues and and those fiery tongues sat upon each of them and the bible says they were filled with the holy spirit and they began to praise god in other languages and when the crowd okay remember jewish feast day of pentecost tens of thousands of jews are in jerusalem to celebrate the feast and so many of them thousands of them hear the sound And they're like, what is that? And they all go running to find out what is the sound? What is the meaning of this? And when they got to the area where the 120 disciples, followers of Jesus were, all of a sudden they heard these Galileans praising God in their, the out-of-towners, languages, dialects. Okay, and so these guys... Um, You can go back and read it, but they came from, Luke lists 15 different areas from around the, the known world, around the Roman Empire. They all spoke different languages or dialects, and when they came in to find out what's the meaning of the sound, they heard these Galileans speaking in their languages. And they're thinking, how can these unsophisticated Galileans be praising God in our languages? And of course, because there's always some in the crowd, Some of the people mocked. Oh, they're all drunk, right? And by the way, that happens a lot even today. People start to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they're not ready to repent because they love their sin. They'd rather remain in darkness than come to the light. And so what do they do? They make a joke. Oh, those Christians, (laughs) ha, ha, ha. It's just their way to avoid the truth, avoid conviction, and what's sad, avoid salvation because there's only one way to heaven that's through Jesus and his blood and so some mocked there's always some in the crowd while others had honest questions what does this mean and Peter stood up and he gives one of the best messages in the whole Bible he had three main points you guys remember this he talked about Jesus life he talked about Jesus death He talked about Jesus' resurrection. What's the common denominator of each point? Jesus, Christ-centered preaching. If you've been called to be a pastor, if you've been called to be a teacher of the Bible, you need to listen. Christ-centered preaching is where it's at. That is is what's blessed in any culture, in any generation. It should be about the Lord Jesus. And that's what Peter does. And so last week we stopped while Peter was preaching his third point. He was talking about the resurrection of Christ. Peter, in order to prove that a dead man actually got up and walked around, in order to prove that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, he quoted from the Psalms. 
And so about 1,000 years before Christ, B.C., King David wrote this. For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol. The Hebrew word Sheol means grave. The counterpart is the Greek word Hades. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your, who? Holy one see corruption. And the final question that I gave you before we dismissed in prayer last week was this. Yes or no, and you can answer out loud today. Did David's body, after he died and after he was buried, did David's body decompose and see corruption in the grave? You tell me, yes or no? Yes. And so if David's body corrupted, decomposed in the grave, who's this holy one whose body never saw corruption? Jesus, the Messiah. And so that's what... Peter is talking about here, and today we pick it up in verse 29. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to the day, uh, to this day. And so Peter, I want you to picture the scene, okay? He's not giving a lecture to 20 people. He's standing on the temple courts and there's thousands of people listening to him. And he's raising his voice. He talks about the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus. And now he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, guys, ladies and gentlemen, David was buried just down the street because he's in Jerusalem. If you want, if it wasn't sacrilegious, we could go down there and dig up his bones or whatever's left um, of David's uh, um, uh, body a thousand years later. If you want, we could go dig it up. But, but you need to know that David died and was buried right here in Jerusalem. And he goes on to say in verse 30, being therefore a prophet, so King David, 1,000 years BC, greatest king Israel ever had, was not just a king, he was a prophet. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Now stop right there because I just wanna, I just wanna throw this in there. Did you guys know that if you went home and you studied the Bible, my sermons could be shorter? <laughs> you know why? Because right now I just touched on the Davidic covenant and I'm thinking, I don't know if they all know what the Davidic covenant is. And if, if, if you guys would just go back and study the Bible, and I was so blessed the one of our people in between services said, Pastor, I have a hunger for God's word. I'm thinking, yes, it's happening. But, but if you would go back and, and look up, you know, what is the Abrahamic covenant that God made to Abraham? What is the Mosaic covenant, otherwise known as the law or the old covenant that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai 1500 years BC? What is the Davidic covenant that God gave to David that your house and your throne will remain forever, meaning that one of David's sons would be the Messiah who would reign over Israel and the world forever. If you would look up and, and, and read about the new covenant, which is primarily given to Israel, but also given to Gentiles like most of us, and that we can have a new heart because of the Holy Spirit coming inside and have all of our sins forgiven past, present, and future by God's grace. If you would know those covenants, then we could just kind of keep, keep going and the sermons would be shorter. So I throw that out and I encourage you to study your Bible. That's, that's a good motivation right there. Being therefore a prophet 
and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter seven, you can read it later, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, David in verse 31, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the who? Of the Christ, one of his descendants, the promised Messiah. That he, the Christ, was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And so Peter said, hey, David was a prophet, and so what happened? He foresaw, 1,000 years BC, he foresaw the resurrection of the Messiah. And he got out his pen, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote it down in Psalm 16, verse 10. And if somebody on that day on the temple courts would have said, excuse me, hold on. How do you know, Peter, that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah, the son of David, the descendant of David? Peter could have said, and in fact did say, in verse 32, please look at it, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are, what's the word? Witnesses. You want to know how I know? Because I saw him alive after he had been dead. And so did James, and so did John, and so did these other guys. In fact, hundreds of us saw him alive after he had been dead. And so he says now in verse 33, still preaching to the crowd, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, hey everybody, you wanna know why you heard a sound like a mighty rushing wind that caused you to run over here and ask what's going on? You wanna know when you got here, how in the world we Galileans were able to speak in your dialects, languages that we have no idea how to speak? You wanna know how that happened? It's a miracle of God. Jesus, the son of David, went up, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and when he went up, he sent the Spirit down, and because of that, you are seeing and hearing what you are seeing and hearing today. Is this making sense to you guys? This is good news. This is proof that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no salvation in anybody else or nothing else. And so in verse 34 now, He's still preaching. He said, for David did not ascend into the heavens. Let me ask you, those of you who've read First and Second Samuel, did David, King David, ever die and then bodily ascend into the heavens? Yes or no? No. But he himself says, and now Peter's quoting from another Messianic Psalm. And by the way, Peter wasn't pulling out scrolls and reading them. He was a Bible scholar, never went to seminary, but he studied and loved the word of God. He's just quoting it, it's flowing out of him. And by the way, it can happen to you too. You can know this book. The Holy Spirit can help you and teach you. And so David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Peter now quoted Psalm 110. It's another messianic Psalm. Around 1,000 years B.C., David also wrote this. 
the Lord. Everybody say Lord. Lord. In the Hebrew, that's literally Yahweh. How many of you believe that Yahweh is the one and only God? He's the only God. Right? I hope everybody says amen, please. I don't want to get struck by lightning here. He's the only God. Yahweh. Translated in the English Bible as Lord. How many of you guys have translations where it's all upper caps? L-O-R-D. That's how you know it's Yahweh. The Lord said to my Lord. Different word. Now it's Adonai. And by the way, who was and is David's Lord. I have it in parentheses. Messiah. And so the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Peter's saying to the crowd, hey everybody, David didn't ascend up into heaven, but we know who ascended up into heaven. His name is Jesus. We saw it with our own eyes. And we studied it two weeks ago in Acts chapter one. The, Lord, the risen Lord is sharing with his disciples and next thing you know, he just begins to go up in the air. They watched him until a cloud took him out of their sight. And so Peter and the disciples, listen to this, they not only were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, the resurrected Christ, they were also eyewitnesses of the ascension. They saw him go up into the sky and so what does Peter do? He puts what he saw and matches it up to what he's reading in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, Psalm 110, and he comes up with this conclusion. Hey, we saw it. We saw him ascend into heaven, and after a cloud took him out of our sight, we know what happens, the Bible tells us. He went to the right hand of the Lord, Yahweh, and he's gonna be up there until... All his enemies are his footstool. And so God in his sovereignty is putting everything under Christ slowly but surely. And everything is going underneath Jesus' foot. Those who will not submit to his lordship are gonna be, his foot is gonna be on their necks. Hey, all right. Got some people who are happy about that. But, but literally, that's what's happening right now in this age of grace. Aren't you glad for God's grace? But he is putting all his enemies under Christ. And he's gonna be up there at the right hand of the Father until he comes back. And so this is what Peter's doing on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching a Christ-centered sermon. And he says now in verse 36, he's fully confident. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know. Now everybody look at me real quick. Gotta picture this. He's preaching to thousands of Jews on the temple courts. I wonder if the Sanhedrin's listening over on the side. You know, like this. <laughs> Blood pressure's rising. And here's Peter, who used to cower before a little servant girl. And he's standing full of the Holy Spirit. And he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You thought he was a criminal, but he's the Christ. You thought he was a, a blasphemer and you crucified him, but you crucified your Messiah. Woo, you know, wake up call. And so now in verse 37, let's see the response of the crowd. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Ladies and gentlemen, this is good old fashioned Holy Spirit conviction. And by the way, if everybody could look at me again, would you please pray with me that that 
good old-fashioned Holy Spirit conviction would happen every time we meet together as a church. You know, it bothers me that people come into this room, and we're glad you're here, but it's just a religious ritual, and they walk out unchanged, and there really needs to be Holy Spirit conviction because unless you admit and know you're a sinner, you won't see your need for a savior. And that's what's happening here. They're seeing their sin. And some of them laughed it off and tried to avoid it. But others, they're cut to the heart. And they said to Peter in verse 37 and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says the R word. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. I know you know about John the Baptist and his baptism. This is not what this is about. I know you know about how if a Gentile wants to become part of Judaism, they get baptized in water to become a Jewish proselyte. This is not what this is about. I'm calling you, Peter says, to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Messiah for the forgiveness of, of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And by the way, did you know that you guys made it in the Bible? You're in verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for, what's the word? All. All who are far off, even 2,000 years later in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Where is that? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, verse 40, he bore witness and continued to exhort him. So Peter's not the only long-winded preacher. Saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. That'll preach in this generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation, this depraved generation, this perverse and immoral generation. That'll preach in our culture. And so, verse 41, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about how many people? Wow. Wow. And so the crowd was under conviction, so they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. What does the Greek word mean, metanoia? It means to change one's mind for better, heartily to amend with abhorrence one's past sins. You know, you know, you know what else bothers me? Is that when someone repeats a prayer after a pastor or a Christian worker, they just repeat a prayer and then they go right back to their sin because they love their sin and there's no change in their life. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you on the authority of God's word that they are not truly converted. But they said a prayer, okay? Many will say, Lord, Lord, in that day. You see, if there's really a conversion, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts 
and we no longer love our sin, we no longer make excuses for our sin, we no longer live in our sin in an unrepentant way, we're still sinners, right? We all know we're all sinners, right? Okay, but we don't love our sin, we abhor our sin. He says, repent, change your mind about your sin and change your mind about Jesus. He's not a criminal, he's not a blasphemer. He's both Lord and Christ. Let him be your Lord, let him be your Christ. And then after you've repented, you've changed your mind, then be baptized. Now, just a little side note here, it's not in the notes, but I feel compelled to say it. Um, be baptized for, everybody say the word for, the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word is E-I-S, ice, and it can, can be properly translated because of the forgiveness of sins. And we know when we read the whole New Testament, it does not teach baptismal regeneration. It does not teach you have to be baptized to be saved. It's not there. But you need to know that baptism is an outward picture of what has already happened to us inwardly. And it is a commandment. He says, be baptized, right? I was, before we're talking about spirit baptism, right now, Peter's talking about water baptism. He's telling these thousands of people, he says, I want you to be baptized. I want you to be baptized in the name of Jesus Messiah. And by the way, for the Jews in that day, that'll get you kicked out of the synagogue. And that'll get you fired from your job. And Peter challenges them, do it anyway. Take your public stand for Jesus Christ, identify with him. And what happened next? 3,000 people said yes, and they lined up at the mikvahs. You say, lined up where? They lined up at the mikvahs. A mikvah was a stone water tank that the Jews used for ceremonial washings. And so we have a picture of a mikvah, an ancient mikvah. And so it's a, it's a ritual bath. And what's cool is that if you go with me to Israel, I'll take you to the Western Wall and we can pray at that wall um, that is one of the container walls of Herod the Great as he built Herod's temple. It's still there today. You can pray, but then my favorite place in Jerusalem is not the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. My favorite place is the Southern Steps because both sacred and secular scholars both agree that the actual steps, the stones that you walk on at the Southern Steps before the Huldah Gate are the actual steps that Jesus Christ walked on 2,000 years ago. And then I'll take you right over down, um, just like half, half a quarter a block away, and I'll show you the mikvahs. Archaeologists dug down to the first century, and they uncovered numerous mikvahs all around the southern end of the Temple Mount. And so this is where the 3,000 people who said yes to Jesus, this is where they got dunked, in the mikvahs. You say, man, Peter must have been tired, 3,000. Well, there was 120. Remember, there was 120 disciples that were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there's nothing in the Bible that says that an ordained minister has to baptize you. That's just an added man-made rule. And so he got help, no doubt, from the 120 people. And what a day, what an awesome day, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes down, the church is born, and it grows from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day. Holy mackerel, right? That's amazing. Now, here's the big question. What did they do next? Did they say, hey, Pete, 
as they wipe the water out of their eyes. Hey, great sermon, we'll see you in heaven. Did they do that, yes or no? No. Did they wipe the water out of their eyes and say, all right, and then just show up maybe once a month to church if it fit their schedule? Did they do that, yes or no? No. Here's what they did. If you're with me, say amen. These new believers began a process of discipleship within the context of their local church. Now, I'm so glad one person is saying amen here because ladies and gentlemen, this church has a big, what we call crowd. Once a monthers come to church. They go to church, but they don't realize they are the church. And that's not biblical Christianity. They didn't say, see you later, maybe once a month if I have time, if I don't oversleep, or if I don't go to the beach or golf. They didn't say that. They began a process of discipleship within the context of their local church. And it all revolved around four things. Let's see what they did in verse 42. And they devoted, everybody say devoted. They weren't casual Christians, they were devoted. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And so they turned to Christ, they were baptized, and then they were devoted to four things. They were devoted, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. Now this is huge, because the apostles walked with Jesus for about three years. And so they got to see the Lord's miracles, they got to hear his teachings, and they not only witnessed Jesus' formal ministry, they were also the recipients of Jesus' personal ministry. That means for three years, right? I don't know, 12, 20, 30, about 36 months, Jesus poured himself into these guys. Day after day, week after week, month after month, Year after year, Jesus Christ, can, can, can you see it? They're around the campfire, it's about 10 o'clock, they're roasting marshmallows, I don't know what they're doing. And, and Jesus, though, is pouring the word of God into them. Yes, I'm jealous. And because they were personally taught by Jesus Christ and because they saw him alive from the dead, those apostles, everybody say the word apostles, spoke and wrote being inspired by the Holy Spirit. In other words, those apostles were qualified to teach and lead the church. And I am so personally grateful that what they taught was recorded and we have it, it's called the New Testament. So precious, this is priceless. There's no price on this right here. And by the way, don't just read the New Testament, read the old too, because it'll shed light on the new. But the, they, they were devoted, say the word devoted, to the apostles' teaching. Are you? They were devoted to fellowship, koinonia in the Greek. Koinonia means uh, partnership and union with other believers. That means they shared life with friends who were going in the same direction. They shared their life with friends who knew and loved the Lord like they knew and loved the Lord. And verse 46, by the way, tells us how they lived koinonia out. Jump down real quick to verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together, so everybody say temple, and breaking bread in their homes. Everybody say homes. 
they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so there was two primary areas where these people met, a large setting and a small setting. And so they got together on the temple courts. And then this right now, 3,120, in a little while it's gonna be 5,000, and then after a while they can't even count how many people are in the church of Jerusalem. And probably, Acts 3.1, they got together during the Jewish hours of prayer, and so they saw each other on the temple courts, and they fellowshiped there. We would liken this to kind of like a, a large weekend service. But they didn't stop there. They also got together in homes, in a smaller group setting. And we would liken this to our Calvary groups. And, and so this is what they did. They got together, they made friends with people who knew and loved the Lord. You've heard Mike Lawrence say it, I, I'll say it again, as the church grows larger, it's got to grow smaller. Why? So that a big church doesn't lose the family feel. And so if all you do is come to a, a large weekend service, you're missing out on the family feel. You're missing out on making friends with people who know and love the Lord. And so we'll do it now for I think five weeks in a row. If you haven't joined a Calvary group yet, you gotta do that. If this is your local church, you got to be devoted to koinonia as they did in the first century to the fellowship. And you just go to calvarypsl.com, you click on uh, next steps and you click on Calvary groups and you find a group and you go. And, and by the way, if you go and it's, you're not connecting, and how many of you guys know that not all Christians have, have chemistry? Why am I the only one, a couple more people? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just being real. I'll raise two hands. Not everybody connects. And so go to another group. Just go see Pastor Mike Lawrence or Julie and they'll help you find another group and try that one. But, but listen, this is our model. Apostles teaching and koinonia fellowship. It's really hard to have koinonia fellowship in this large group. And breaking of bread, that's communion and prayer, and so they got together and they prayed corporately and individually, corporately on the temple courts and in homes, and then individually, because when you have a relationship with somebody, communication's the key. And so we would call it our private devotions, our private time with the Lord. And it says now in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the who? apostles. And so as we continue verse by verse through Acts, we're going to see the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul, and we're going to see signs and wonders and miracles God is doing through the apostles, and not just the apostles, but their close associates, guys like Philip in Acts chapter 8, wonders and miracles also happening through his ministry. Not staged miracles, not emotional hype, uh, now, just want to make sure everybody understands. I believe that God still does miracles today. Do you believe that? Yes or no? Okay, absolutely. God still does miracles today. But I have to admit, when I'm watching some of those religious stations, I'm like, that's not real. That's just giving the Lord a bad name. And so these authentic miracles were happening through the apostles, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And of course, later on, people read this and higher institutions of learning say, see, it's an early form of communism right in the Bible. (laughs) And our poor kids who go to state universities are like, oh yeah, communism must be the way. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. If you're taking notes, here's the truth. Communism says what's yours is mine. It's compulsory. It's government mandated. Christianity, uh uh-uh. It says what's mine is yours. It's voluntary. Do you guys see the difference here? And so also don't take verses out of their context and teach whatever you wanna teach. Did you know the Bible? You can make the Bible teach whatever you want it to teach. You can take this verse out of context and say, oh, look, communism. Let's change America. We're no longer capitalists, right? But no, if you keep it in its context, here's what the context teaches. On the feast of um, Pentecost, tens of thousands of Jews come to Jerusalem. 3,000 of them get saved. They're excited because the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. They want to learn more. So no doubt many of them stay in Jerusalem, either temporarily or maybe even some permanently. And so because you're staying longer, you need the basic necessities of life, food, clothing, shelter, at least until you can find a job. And so until that happened, the locals, the local Christians are like, hey, come on over. Yeah, you can stay for a while. And some of them even sold their land and liquidated the assets and and gave it to uh, the leaders of the church and they dispersed it to those who were in need. And so keep it in its context. This is not mandatory giving. This is sacrificial, voluntary giving. And it says now in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And who added to their number day by day? The Lord, salvations of the Lord. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, and so I submit to you that this was a growing church because it was a healthy church. Ladies and gentlemen, we know this from life. All healthy things grow. If something's healthy, it grows. And if a church is healthy, you can't stop people from coming. It grows, the Holy Spirit works. But you need to know, I can't emphasize it enough, this is not repeating a prayer and going away unchanged. This is true conversion, followed by baptism, followed by a discipleship process within the context of the local church revolving around the apostles teaching New Testament, break, um, um, koinonia fellowship, breaking of bread, communion, and prayer. And so it's about discipleship. If you have to corner me and say, Pastor Mike, what is this church about? What's one word? Just give me one word. I would just say disciple. We wanna help people become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. 